Good afternoon and welcome back to the Global Energy Outlook Forum 2024. <clears throat> we are in the European session of our marathon 12-hour, 12-time zone swing through the world, round the world, I suppose it's technically called, uh, starting early doors in China and now migrating our way across Europe after tracking through Asia and the Middle East certainly some big headlines taking away there. China maybe having a bearish year, but a lot of optimism in Asia that some big uh, other countries can pull Asian energy demand forward, most notably Indonesia, Vietnam, India, of course. Uh, and in the Middle East, some noises around OPEC plus struggling to work their way through the rapids of renegotiating quotas. We saw that at the end of last year. That may uh, be a factor through this year uh, uh, as discussed. What was I ranting on about? I was ranting on about the fact that uh, the session title uh, that we are focused on today as we uh, move through our European session, and that is the idea of where the Southern Europe uh, role uh, in uh, the new gas profile of Europe, the new gas supply of Europe uh, in the aftermath of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Uh, the East Med and Central Asia are what we are calling Waiting for Godot, which is the title of a famous Samuel Beckett play, uh, uh, Irish playwright, but he wrote that play in French, actually, which is quite interesting. But nonetheless, I digress. How long will the EU's Southern European neighbours wait for Europe to make strategic energy infrastructure investments before they look elsewhere to develop their economies. That's the narrative of this session. Uh, and um, to kick us off with that, uh, let's talk a little bit about where is Europe right now, Dr. Carl Dackley, CEO of Crystal Energy. Has it solved its long-term gas problem? Good morning, Sean. Uh, good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. Um, well, look, it's, it's a big question. Uh, has it solved its gas problem? Well, there's no problem at the moment, but it doesn't mean that it has solved the problem because the EU is a net importer. It is a big importing region, actually the second most significant importing region after Asia. And as such, as long as they have this kind of dependence and the, the use of gas domestically and the relentless pursuit of finding completely a replacement of Russian gas, because mind you, there is still some Russian gas coming to Europe, plus add to that the competition from Asia, because not anymore European gas on its own. We used to analyze regional markets separate from each other. But today, these markets talk to each other. They affect each other's uh, prices, supplies, competition. And as such, we have to see also what is happening in Asia. So in a sense, the slower economic growth that we saw in China also supported uh, the EU and Europe in general to um, to avoid, you see, a longer crisis for gas. So at the moment, Europe is in good shape. They have plentiful uh, stocks, which they uh, were pretty serious about filling up after the crisis, the, the fallout with Russia, and Russia was their biggest supplier, as is the EU, the biggest market for Russia. And second, the, the weather 
helped the EU and demand, we saw demand destruction because of the high prices. But again, we have to see what will happen in the coming years. And most importantly, the big question is, at least if we're thinking about the long term from the European perspective, which is also relevant for gas suppliers, which we're going to discuss later in the session, is how successful the EU is going to be in meeting its ambitious renewable targets which they set in May 2022, following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. In that repower plan, the EU decided to double its renewable energy capacity by 2030. So the question for in terms of their capacity to absorb gas supplies will hang to a large extent on their success or failure in meeting that renewable energy target by 2030. Mehmed Agutu, Group CEO, Global Resources Partnership and Chairman at the London Energy Club. Mehmed, I wanted your thoughts uh, sitting there near the Black Sea that uh, the longer uh, Europe doesn't invest in its southern European energy infrastructure and its neighbors uh, in the East Med in, in the opportunities of expanded uh, gas supply from uh, uh, the Black Sea area and the Caspian even. Um, the longer one thinks uh, it raises the, 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 the flag uh, that maybe Europe will just turn back to Russia once all the noise is over. Your thoughts on the politics of that could we see Europe turn back to Russia? That cheap gas is very tempting. Well, Europe is long on blueprints, visions, rhetoric. But when it comes to implementation and taking concrete action, it's really short. Not only with regard to southern shore neighbors of uh, Mediterranean, but also in general. We shouldn't forget that EU is not a homogeneous block, having similar energy requirements, needs, and deficiencies. So treating EU as one single entity is the first mistake to make. And secondly, all these visions papers prepared by the Commission or the Council and endorsed by the Parliament is very difficult to implement, as we have seen in the past. So let alone with the southern neighbors and other regional partners within EU, there are serious difficulties. And key things is for the EU right now, after the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the crisis that we had, is not only about natural gas. Carol already mentioned it. They handled this problem expensively through LNG. I think it's also created... Yeah, but lots that, of that problem, quote-unquote, has been handled by spot cargoes coming from the U.S., into floating LNG facilities off the coast of Germany. These are all spot short-term solutions, aren't they? Yes, they are. I think I don't think that EU is interested in long-term gas uh, supply issue because for this you have to invest, let's say, with Qatar if you want to have, or Algeria or Nigeria, if you want to have long-term LNG contracts with them, you have to invest. You have to sign long-term contracts, and EU is not willing to do that. Because there is a dilemma about decarbonization, then emphasis on renewables, green technologies. Therefore, I think there is a confusion in the EU strategy. Investors are not clear what EU wants in that regard. So there isn't significant investment going to gas fields and LNG production around the world. So if so you look at the southern, southern neighbors, yeah. what we see as a disappointment. 
we saw also with uh, Desertec uh, project how it failed. And so much talk, but they need finance to be channeled into the region. It's not happening for interconnections, for also regional hub that they are talking about. But other nations like China through BRI, Belt and Road Initiative, are pouring billions of dollars there. But this, well, this comes as loans, of course. Some of them talk about debt trap, but the money is flowing. Projects are happening there. Let's, Morocco let's, is now. Let's, let's, yes. let's just go to Gulmaira Rezaeva, founder and managing director of Eurasia Analytics and a former senior energy advisor to the government of Azerbaijan. Gulmaira, how much longer is Azerbaijan going to wait for Europe? Is this year 2024 its last year? Oh, well, first of all, uh, I think there are a lot of challenges, both uh, on the uh, market side and on the supplier side that needs to be uh, clarified uh, problems and uh, you know a lot of questions that needs to be answered first of all if we uh, speak from the supplier's perspective and Azerbaijan's relatively new supplier to Europe uh, which has been already uh, you know providing some 10 BCMA of gas and last year it was uh, above the annual contract quantities, 12 PCM. So uh, uh, for new extra volumes to, 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 to come to the market, we need to understand what is the demand in the market in the longer term perspective, because this is, I think, the major uncertainty at the moment uh, <clears throat> uh, that needs to be uh, clarified. And this is the major debate between supplier and the trader in, in, in Europe. And that would also clarify the length on the contracts, uh, whether it's going to be long term contract or short term contract from the um, from the buyer's perspective, uh, of course, there are lots of uncertainties for them as well. Uh, again, at the COP28, um, uh, we, 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 we've seen um, how they, uh, the European Union, uh, I mean, the developed world is committed to double you know, renewable energy production and the triple energy efficiency. So the uh, uh, demand uncertainty is still there. And the financing, this brings us to another problem, which is uh, funding of this kind of project, multi-billion uh, worth projects, you know, bringing us from Azerbaijan to extra 10 BCM to Europe is what costs additional around $18 billion. Who is going to fund these projects? Uh, but on the other hand, it, we, we see how those countries in mainly in some this European region, uh, Italy, you know, is the biggest market in that region with around 60 BCMA of gas demand. How reliant on uh, on uh, gas coming from alternative sources? It's not only Azerbaijan, as you mentioned, it's LNG, it's gas from North Africa. Uh, any is uh, aggressively investing in 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 different countries in in Africa to bring extra gas to the market, but. Uh, 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 but uh, there are a lot of uncertainties as well because uh, Algeria failed to, you know, increase its gas export to Italy last year, as as was planned initially, and uh, uh, we think that uh, Algeria would not be able to uh, to uh, significantly increase its gas export uh, because uh, they also need investment to you know uh, uh, to increase gas production so these uncertainties must be addressed before any well, there's also is I, there's also the big uncertainty dr carol isn't it of the geopolitics i think uh, obviously you're from lebanon we saw the major breakthrough it seemed only a few months ago of lebanon and israel agreeing their marine maritime border in order to demarcate their gas fields there 
But we're very quickly reminded with the tragic events in Gaza uh, uh, that the geopolitics of the East Med and the Southern European neighborhood are just too problematic for European investment. Your thoughts on that, that geopolitically, Europe sees this as a relatively no-go area for that kind of money that you're talking about? Right from the beginning, the uh, overexcitement about the East Med uh, gas and potentially becoming a game changer, especially for Europe, for me, were, uh, were misplaced. They were oversimplistic, simply because they overlooked the fundamental reality of that region that is, it is politically fragmented. And it would have been naive to believe that everything is going to be all right and that region suddenly is going to export all its gas to Europe and everything's going to be fine because the problems are much deeper uh, than to be uh, overcome by, let's say, potential benefits of exporting gas. And actually, until 2020 or 2021, interestingly, no big major energy company invested in Israel, despite the massive discoveries that Israel made in 2000, early 2010, so 2009, 2010, with Tamar and Leviathan. But it was only around that time, 2020, 2021, people thought that, yes, it's getting a bit more stable, and Chevron bought Noble, and that allowed it to gain a foothold in uh, Israel, and other companies were following suit. And just after that, so as soon as Israel, for example, became started to export its gas to uh, Egypt, the problem, the war in Gaza started and reminded investors of the fragility of the region. But if I leave the geopolitical risk aside, which still remains significant and is not going to change, anytime soon. On the contrary, is what has been, what has the war in Gaza has been a setback for the whole region and for Israel in particular, the Israeli gas. But if I put the geopolitical uh, issue at risk on the side, if you look at the potential, export potential of the region, we can see that, first of all, the most realistic option for the area, for those countries that have made discoveries, and Lebanon is not one of them, then their main um, export route would be via Egypt. But Egypt, we know very well that the domestic gas demand has been rising rapidly. It is a major gas market in Africa. And um, uh, there will be also the dependence on the on, on Egyptian market. But beyond that, if I go to Algeria next door, there's an equally similar problem with the potential to expand exports because production is not rapidly rising to compensate for the rise in demand. So in North Africa, you have the major problem, domestic demand rapidly rising. And we're not seeing yet any other discoveries such as Zohar Field in Egypt that changed Egypt uh, export uh, status. Uh, and, and, and we need another discovery like Zohar in Egypt to be able to boost Egypt's potential. So on balance, and Cyprus, by the way, for those who are listening, made the Aphrodite discovery many years ago, more than 10 years ago, and until today, the gas remains stranded because of the limited export options, which are related to technical issues, um, cost issues, so economics, but more importantly, the political fragmentation in the region, which remains a major, major obstacle to any significant investment and export potential in that region. Mehmet, has... Turkey and President Erdogan missed an opportunity here uh, to sort of lead Europe towards its uh, southern European gas supplies 
compromised by his dependency on Russian gas. I mean, we saw once upon a time, we've talked about this before with Golmyra, that it takes a massive amount of political will to to muscle uh, over this geopolitical challenge. We saw successful attempts at it in the past, getting Azerbaijani gas through to Turkey and to Sehan and so forth. Uh, the Where is the, the opportunity? Is it a missed opportunity for Turkey to lead on this, given the context of Russia uh, invasion of Ukraine? Your thoughts on where Turkey's role, the biggest player, the biggest muscle in terms of that neighborhood? It is actually the biggest muscle uh, to reckon with in the region. However, I don't think Turkey has played it well, because at the time when Russian crisis emerged, I think Turkey could have been a real, real hub for European Union to bring gas from Eastmat, from the Kurdish region of Iraq and Azerbaijan, perhaps Turkmenistan to a certain extent, if uh, the obstacles there could be overcome. But although Turkey wants to be a regional hub, it hasn't done what's necessary. It had to balance also relations with Russia. This didn't help in terms of confidence building with Europe. But now it's geopolitics, you know, stupid. As Clinton used to say, it's geopolitics, economy stupid. Geopolitical roller coaster is really preventing the opportunities, limiting the opportunities to move ahead. Look at what happened in Gaza, as you said. Just before that, there was a very positive environment between Turkey and Israel, perhaps, to re-kick, kick off the ISMAT pipeline or other versions of it coming through Turkey to Europe. And also, uh, not only with Israel, but Egypt and the Gulf nations, Turkey came closer. And now with Greece, all of a sudden, Mr. Turkish and Erdogan hugging each other. And so it's a roller coaster. You, don't, you cannot imagine how the geopolitical play will move forward. So from one day to another, it may change. However, in terms of energy, I think Turkey is not key only for the gas supply, for itself, also for Europe, but also renewables and climate change, decarbonization goals. So we see always Mediterranean Turkey issues in the context of natural gas. I think it's a mistake. We have to move beyond that. And there are many other elements, especially for critical infrastructure, critical minerals that we are talking about. So there are many new elements in the European energy security context and its collaboration with regional partners. But as I said in the beginning, there are other actors coming very strongly to the region. If EU fails to materialize its promises, China is one of them. Russia, of course, has a strategic, uh, strategic uh, partnership with many countries, including Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Algeria, and then also Gulf nations, whether as collaborators or competitors in the North Africa and uh, Middle East. We've seen so a few EU, of the national energy to, companies. work very carefully on what it really wants. There is a confusion in minds what EU wants and what it can deliver, what it cannot fail to deliver. Well, let's go to Golmire on that. Why is Azerbaijan and other neighboring wouldn't turn the other direction. You already are sending some of your gas to Europe. Why not look to China and the East uh, and to the, the Gulf Arabs and other places for investment, Azerbaijan, uh, on that note? And from the point of view of the future and the year ahead, would you expect that that region will start to turn more eastward than westward? 
Uh, before I answer your question, I'll just uh, want to do a few comments on what uh, Mehmet Bey just just said. Uh, I, I, I fully agree with what Mehmet Bey said because I would particularly uh, mention here uh, the UAE, which is increasingly active in this in the South Caucasus, but particularly in Azerbaijan. So UAE is putting multi multi million, uh, hundreds of millions of investment in renewable energy, but also in in uh, gas upstream projects in Azerbaijan. So if Azerbaijan starts to, let's say, uh, uh, increase its gas export uh, to Europe from the Absheron field, then uh, UAE would be uh, a, a gas exporter, would become a first-time gas exporter to Europe uh, because it has an investment in this field. Uh, so I think this is the factor that, uh, you know, and, and, and needs to be paid attention because, yeah, Middle East is becoming increasingly active in this region. Um, uh, no, uh, Azerbaijan uh, uh, cannot export gas to uh, China or or let's say Middle East because we are a landlocked country. Well, it cannot be in the form of LNG. Um, uh, it's not possible by the Caspian Sea, but uh, 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 but uh, uh, in the form of pipeline gas is also very uh, complicated. Well, first of all, technically and then financially, you know, uh, again, uh, this uh, question arises whether it's uh, financially feasible uh, to, you know, to fulfill this exercise. And and, and uh, uh, from my uh, my point of view, it's absolutely not. Uh, EU is the most, uh, you know, uh, financially solid and, and uh, most uh, profitable market for the Azerbaijani gas. Um, for Middle East, well, uh, uh, it's the same, uh, you know, it's also geopolitics, uh, you know, difficult situations in uh, those countries. But um, uh, I think uh, also, you know, uh, exporting extra gas to Europe is might be now uh, in these days quite, uh, 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 I think, certain because, well, just recently, months ago, President Aliyev uh, said that we will uh, export, you know, this extra uh, 10 BCM uh, starting from 2026 in Europe, in in uh, uh, Romania, uh, and and some investments are being uh, done in uh, interconnectors between uh, these countries, so to bring gas to more uh, countries in that region to expand the uh, market. Um, for Azerbaijani gas. So I think uh, probably uh, something has been decided and there are lots of discussions on bringing also Turkmen gas via Turkey, via the so-called, you know, uh, Turkish Gazprom gas hub. So there are some works are ongoing um, in, on these projects yeah. as well. Let's just take the survey question. Uh, the EU southern neighbors won't wait beyond 2024 for Europe to make strategic energy infrastructure investments before they look east to develop their economies. Uh, agree or disagree? Uh, Carol, I wanted to take the last part of our conversation to think about the the uh, the European gas problem as it's been framed uh, once or twice in our conversation today in the context of if we are in the end game of the Russian-Ukraine war, uh, what does Europe's energy challenge problem, quote unquote, look like? Um, it seems to me that the US has been the biggest winner in the European gas problem. They're not very incentivized, in my opinion, to help or to facilitate getting more suppliers out of Southern Europe. Uh, uh, where do you think things go uh, in this era? Uh, Trump 
possibly coming into the White House again. Uh, European and U.S. fatigue of continuing this war with Russia and then in the inevitable, you know, we're still getting energy from Russia. There's still, I mean, it's mad to think there's still a gas pipeline running through Ukraine from Russia to Europe. I don't see what the big problem is or what the big no way it could never be that Europe would turn to Russia again. Your thoughts, if we hypothesize that 24 could be entering the end game of the Ukraine-Russian war and what that means for European energy supplies. There are two things that we have to take into consideration, Sean. Uh, first of all, of course, you know, prices. It's not about what just about what's happening in Russia or Ukraine. It's about also what the what's happening in the market. And we saw what really triggered uh, into like demand destruction or looking for substitutes or acceleration of substitution for gas in Europe was the reaction to the record high prices that European customers, households, and industries faced. So there is first of all, and they're still kind of facing, right? They're still facing. Uh, I have a house but, but in it's Ireland. Still a yeah, but still a fraction of what they faced, yes. uh, for example, last year. So that's one thing we have to take consideration. And that you can go on and on and talk about what's happening in Asia, what's happening elsewhere. But second, so there is the market realities and there is the policy reality. And the real policy reality is largely also dictated not only by people, um, uh, the popularity, the popular mood, but also by who is in charge. And we know in Europe, there are some elections happening in 2024 and things can change drastically. And it is not unusual to see U-turn when it comes to policymakers here in the UK. We saw many U-turns last year, for example, on, uh, yeah, I was thinking whether it's, no, it's already 2024. So it was the end of last year on uh, electric vehicles or the, um, uh, the delay in abolishing the sale of new conventional cars, diesel and gasoline, and also encouraging more investment in oil and gas in the North Sea. So there is a policy dimension that would create also this kind of uncertainty about where next for Europe. But that said, despite the uncertainty, I would like to highlight something, and this is where perhaps me and Mehmet don't see it uh, in the same way, that yes, the EU, there is some contradiction and there is some confusion, but the EU is a group of 27 countries with very different electricity and energy mix and primary energy mix and locations. So some they don't, have, they are completely inland, so they don't have access to uh, building LNG terminals. So that we would expect. And in that respect, if you think about the EU being so like 27 countries and they still manage to speak with one voice and, you know, have inactivate very uh, like drastic policies within a short period of time in reaction to the crisis of 2022, that is by itself impressive. And also add to that, that the EU already signaled to investors in oil and gas that they are supporting investment in gas with their taxonomy of gas being a sustainable um, investment. And another boost for the oil and gas investors is COP28, because there was one provision in, in the agreement, in the deal, which says that transitional fuels, investment in transitional fuels should be supported to safeguard energy security. And how do you describe okay. natural gas, a transitional fuel? Mehmed, we're getting running out of time, but I just wanted to get you and Gilmira's views quickly on this. Would you be surprised to see Europe turn back to Russia if indeed we find an end game in the Russian-Ukraine war? 
I don't think it's going to happen in the foreseeable future because the trust is lost. So we have to see what's going to happen. And an additional point before I close, I want to say that, you know, Europe, if it's going to rely on southern neighbors uh, of the Mediterranean, and then it has to make sure that there is political stability and security in this region. And through the infrastructure investment and connections, not only in energy, but telecom, roads and everything else, EU can be bringing together the Maghreb countries and other Middle Eastern countries, which are not in talking terms to one another. So energy investment and dialogue might be one way of uh, helping regional integration in the region. I think we have to keep this in mind as well. Well, Myra, a quick last word to you. Would you be surprised? Uh, do you expect Russia to return as a major gas supplier to Europe at some point in the not-too-distant future? You're on mute, I think. Yeah, sorry. So I think here we should really divide the European countries who would be willing to do that and who want for, under any circumstances. Uh, Hungary and Austria are still have been importing uh, Russian gas. 85% of Austrian gas uh, comes from Russia. Some 80% of Hungarian gas comes from still comes from Russia. So there are a couple of other countries that still continue importing Russian gas. And I think that these countries that are... Uh, Probably will not, uh, you know, uh, drop importing Russian gas in the in the future. But of course, if we talk about the Europe as a whole, as a as a single market, then I think yes, we uh, won't see uh, the Russian uh, role as a gas exporter as it was before. Um, in terms of infrastructure, uh, I think that yeah, EU will stop. Uh, financing uh, fossil fuel infrastructures, but uh, those countries that want gas from some other sources, they they will need, their tier source will need to invest on their own to build this infrastructure. Well, we're going to have to leave it there. We're exactly at our half an hour time slot. It's been a wonderful conversation. I think it is a big uh, subject for Outlook because of its interconnected nature with the Russian invasion of Ukraine. But we'll have to wrap it up there. Thank you, Mehmet Aguchu. Thank you, Gulmaya Razayeva. And thank you, Dr. Karl Nakli, for joining us uh, as part of the Global Energy Outlook Forum around the world. All the best.